And there were some things that happened to Jesus as immediately after his birth that I thought it would be good for us to look at this morning. And then a, a few weeks ago, as we were in the midst of the Advent season, and we're just now leaving it, I happened to be on the First Baptist Church website, and I found, I found this on the website. The word Advent means coming or arrival. And the focus of the entire season is preparation to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ in his first Advent, and the anticipation of the return of Christ, the King, in his second Advent. Thus, Advent is far more than simply marking a 2,000-year-old event in history. It is celebrating a truth about God, the revelation of God in Christ, whereby all of creation must be reconciled to God. That is the process in which we now participate and the consummation of which we anticipate. I, I was moved by that, again, to be reminded of Advent. I didn't grow up in the tradition of, of remembering the Advent season. Uh, do you all do that here? Yeah. I, we didn't light the Advent candle and, and have an Advent wreath, and yet when I got married, my wife was a little bit more in tune with that, and, and we, we hung out with some friends that attended Lutheran Church, and they did that. So I became acquainted with it. Then when I became a part of the last church I was at, uh, they did the Advent thing, everything, and I, I never really knew what Advent was all about. And then through that association with that church, I got to find out what it was about. And then learning the definition of the word meant the arrival or the coming. And it became very important to understand that today we are to be anticipating the same thing that they were anticipating before the birth of Jesus Christ. We're to anticipate his coming, his arrival, but now his second time. But during the study for this, it's impacted me a couple of times uh, sadly, how few people were actually looking for the Messiah. They weren't anticipating his arrival. It's one of the saddest facts about his first coming to me. But we're going to look at today uh, that there were a few people who were anticipating his arrival as the Messiah. But as a whole, the nation of Israel was not expecting him. Even the religious leaders who knew all the prophecies, knew all of that, and, and so on, weren't really expecting him to arrive when he did. And, of course, as we know, when he did arrive, they didn't recognize him anyway. But religious activity in Jerusalem at the time was flourishing. But true, honest, spiritual life and spiritual discernment was kind of rare in Israel, much as it is today in our world. And sadly, many of those who were looking for the Messiah that was coming did so in hopes of being relieved of the occupying Roman army who was occupying their land. And they were looking for a Messiah that would come and deliver them from Rome, not necessarily to deliver them from sin and from the consequences of sin or to provide any kind of righteousness or spirituality to their nation. Roman rule kind of hung like a a wet blanket on the nation of Israel. It hurt their pride even. They were God's chosen people. Now, I have to admit, I I think they misunderstood what what God meant by being his chosen people. Some of them took that to mean, well, we're we're better than the rest of y'all, especially the Sumerians. But that's not what God meant at all. He meant that 
Israel was the people chosen to take the message of salvation in the person of Jesus Christ to the rest of the world. It was through the, the Jewish people that Christ would be born and that salvation could truly come to us. They would have been happily, uh, happy to have a Messiah that would throw off that wet blanket that was covering their nation. But there wasn't any grassroots desire, if you will, to have God come as a, as a spiritual king and, and to show his people how they should live. There were some, though, that did look for his appearing. And there were probably few believers that had heard much about his coming. Frankly, I, d- I doubt that the, that the priests in the synagogue talked much about the coming Messiah uh, w- when they spoke to their people in the synagogue. But some were looking and expecting. For example, Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, knew the prophecies. All the people knew the prophecies, but knew the prophecies of a coming Messiah. And then there was Anna, an old widow and prophetess that was in the temple. And then there was the fellow that we're going to talk about today. Supposedly an elderly man that we're going to meet today named Simeon. And when they say elderly in, in the Old Testament, it kind of worries me because 45 was old then. So uh, ancient would have described myself. It, but if you, if you have your Bible in front of you, and if you don't, Carlos and I have collaborated. I might be able to provide you some of the, the scripture. But if you have your Bible, if you want to learn, uh, turn to Luke chapter 2. I'd like to read verses 21 to 35. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses... They brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And then to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the law, custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. first thing I want to look at today is the presentation of Jesus in the temple. There were several ceremonial things that were required of parents when their child was born. Eight days after Christ was born, they they took him to the rabbi, a local rabbi probably, and he was circumcised. 
a medical practice that I think is largely maintained today. I think they even still do it eight days after birth, approximately. I'm asking my nurse consultant here. But according to Old Testament law in uh, Leviticus 12, verse 3, Jewish male children were to be circumcised when they were eight days old. And we see in Luke 2.21 that it was customary for the child to officially be named at that time as well. So even though we knew in advance Jesus would be his name, and I'm sure mother and father called him Jesus, it became official at that eight-day ceremony. And we we saw the same things happening for John the Baptist in Luke chapter 1, verse 59. Then 40 days after his birth, there's a period of time uh, of, uh, uh, of purification that the woman was required to, to go through following childbirth. And then following that 40-day period, Joseph and Mary brought Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem, just a few miles from Bethlehem, six, seven miles. And they presented him there as the family's firstborn male child, much like the dedication of children that we do in churches today. Uh, I think Baptist churches and stuff like that do that a lot. They do child dedications. Now, at this presentation, Mary was to make a purification sacrifice according to Levitical law. According to Levitical law, it was to be a lamb and a pigeon or a turtle dove. Or if the lamb wasn't affordable, then two pigeons or two turtle doves were okay. And that's what Joseph and Mary brought because they were a rather poor couple. Uh, the burnt, they were supposed to come as a burnt offering and a sin offering. The burnt offering represented complete, unreserved dedication of the offender, of the offerer. Body, soul, spirit, and will, an offering to God. Burnt offering symbolized the total dedication of that offering to God, completely. It was completely consumed by fire so that there was nothing available for anyone else or anything else. And then the ascending or the rising smoke of the offering to God in heaven was also symbolic. The sin offering is the trespass offering. The trespass offering was for a forfeit of the violated rights of others, whether of Jehovah as the head of the nation or of fellow man. And then I want us to look at the fact that Simeon was prepared for Christ. In verses 25 to 28, we meet a man who is just and devout, or righteous and devout, depending on your translation. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, Scripture doesn't tell us anything of Simeon's background or his parentage or his personal history with God or how he came to apparently have such a a close relationship with the Spirit of God. But this brief mention actually helps us learn a lot about his past, his present, and his future. Verse 25 refers to him in my translation as just, which means declared righteous. In the Old Testament, uh, in the Old Testament's way of saying things, it means that Simeon was a believer. He was just. Like Abraham, who in Genesis 15, 6, was declared righteous when he believed God, Simeon had an obedient faith relationship with God and stood before him as a believing man. And he had obtained that status at some point in his past. We don't know whether it was as a young man or as an older man. In the present, in verse 25, it says he's devout, which means he also had a a worshipful, reverent attitude toward God. 
He didn't just get his sins forgiven and then strike out on his own way, his own life, doing his own thing. He walked closely with God. He had an ongoing daily relationship with the Lord. Now, clearly, we see Simeon also had an eye to the future. Verse 25 says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Consolation refers to the, the comfort that the Messiah would bring to Israel when he appeared. And that helped set Simeon apart from others who were awaiting the Messiah. He wasn't looking for a warrior to throw off that wet blanket of Roman rule. Uh, He was waiting for a different kind of comfort. He looked forward to the spiritual comfort that the Messiah would bring. Forgiveness of sin. And he would bring the power of the Holy Spirit to the lives of the people. Now through his relationship with the Holy Spirit, Simeon had been given discernment to see the difference between those seeking the Messiah for military reasons, if you will, and those for spiritual reasons. And he learned to long for what Israel needed most, spiritual consolation and spiritual comfort. And there's great wisdom in Simeon's approach for us today, for his church today. There are all kinds of different things that that bring us stress or strife or discomfort. And yet we are all still in need of spiritual comfort, are we not? And that only comes from the Lord. Many of us today think the church should be at the front of cultural and social battles, using political clout and other means to fight things such as secularism and pluralism and political correctness that are permeating throughout our culture. But I would say that like Simeon, that we as a church need to be focused on Christ's second coming, not a political or cultural agenda. Well, pastor, how how do we do that? Well, we're going to take a look. Three times in verses 25 to 27, Simeon's relationship to the Holy Spirit was referenced. First, it says he was controlled by the Spirit. Remember that Simeon was an Old Testament believer. That is, he was not permanently indwelt with the Holy Spirit. That began with the pouring out of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost in Acts 2, which is still 33 years away from here. In verse 25, the phrase, the Holy Spirit was upon him, is correct for his time. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon believers to empower them empower them for a, a specific project or a specific work for a specific time. If you remember uh, in Psalm 51, David prayed to God after he had sinned with Bathsheba, Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. It was not like we have today when believers are permanently indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Today the Spirit is given permanently to a true believer The Holy Spirit came upon Simeon, though, at that time to teach him, to guide him, and to prepare him for the Messiah that was to come. Secondly, he was counseled by the Spirit, verse 26. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Incredible. Can you imagine how encouraging that might have been to Simeon in his day? He and the believers did not, have to, did not have the completed word of God that we have today for guidance and information. So occasionally the Holy Spirit would speak directly to a believer. He doesn't, I don't believe he does that today, not that way. 
He doesn't speak new revelation to believers, that is, beyond the confirming of what is already in God's completed word to us. Now, I don't pretend to know how it happened with Simeon, whether it was an audible voice or whether it came to him in a dream or a vision or during prayer or sleep, but I can just about guarantee you this. It was unmistakable that it was from the Holy Spirit. It was from God himself. Imagine again how encouraging that had to have been to Simeon to hear from God, not only that the Messiah was coming, but it would be in his lifetime. He would have the privilege of seeing the Messiah in human form before he left the earth. Every day, Simeon must have awakened and wondered, I wonder if this will be the day. Will this be the day I see my Savior? Hmm. Thirdly, Simeon was conditioned by the Spirit as well. Verse 27 tells us this. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. Now on the day that Joseph and Mary were coming to the temple to offer Mary's purification sacrifice and present uh, present Jesus as their firstborn son to the Lord, Simeon was led there by the Holy Spirit. Now the temple on any given day probably had a number of families that were there for a, a, a similar mission. In Jerusalem, it was a big city. There were probably a number of, of couples bringing their firstborns to be dedicated in the temple. But the Spirit led Simeon there. And there he crossed paths with Mary and Joseph. Then he recognized the infant Jesus as Messiah. Simeon was so conditioned by walking in the Spirit that he just was in the right place at the right time. Right? No, he was led there by the Spirit specifically for that reason. It's kind of reminiscent of Samuel's recognition that Jesse's first through seventh sons were not going to be the next king of Israel. Remember, it was the eighth son, the young son, the little shepherd boy who was inconsequential. He wasn't even called to the meeting. He was to be the next king of Israel. There's no indication here that Simeon had to go looking at every individual baby boy to see which one was the Messiah. Somehow he saw Jesus and he knew that was the Messiah. He was prepared by God for Christ. Now, part of this passage includes a a hymn, if you will, by Simeon concerning Christ. Simeon was so moved by seeing the baby Jesus that when Mary and Joseph brought him into the temple, verse 28 tells us that Simeon took him up in his arms and blessed God. He began to speak like a a psalmist-slash-prophet in language like those who had foretold the coming Messiah. Looking at the hymn, we find a number of things about it. First, we find that it's a a worship hymn. Verse 28 again says, Took him up in his arms and blessed God. His focus wasn't the baby. It wasn't even the fact that the baby was Messiah. His focus was God. He worshipped God for delivering the Messiah to Israel. It was also a salvation hymn. Remember what it was that Simeon saw when he looked at Jesus? Look at verse 30. For my eyes have seen your salvation. This should be a great reminder to us that salvation is not a doctrine. Salvation is a person. 
Salvation comes in Jesus Christ. Peter said a few decades later, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It was Jesus. Lastly, the hymn is a a missionary hymn. Simeon's words in verse 32 spoke of the inclusion of the Gentiles. I find this remarkable here. The Jews are all thinking of themselves as the chosen people. They They were God's people, and all the rest of them were just Gentiles. And yet Simeon, Simeon included the Gentiles. Isn't it interesting also that when the shepherds came, they were told, Behold, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which to are to whom? All people. Here Simeon says, It is too light a thing. He's quoting as Isaiah, or I will quote Isaiah 42. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Salvation did not come just to the Jews. Salvation was offered to all people. And look at Simeon's prophecy concerning Christ. He said three specific things about Christ and his ministry as the Messiah. Verses 34 and 35. He said, This child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul, speaking to his mother Mary, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Three references that are made here in this prophecy by Simeon. First, a reference to the stone. You say, well, I don't see the word stone there. Ah, but it's there. The fall and the rising of many in Israel is a reference to the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense from Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14. He will be a sanctuary, as a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel. In Romans 9.23, Paul and Peter, later in 1 Peter 2.8, confirm this ministry of Christ. Some would use him as a stepping stone to God, while others would stumble over him and his Messiahship. He also refers to Jesus as a, a sign that will be spoken against. Now the word here in Greek is simeon. It's a reference, kind of close to Simeon, isn't it? It's a reference to events and acts that point to God, like the signs and the wonders of the apostles and those by Christ himself. Jesus himself was a sign, and as a sign, he would be spoken against and would cause the thoughts of many hearts to be revealed. And of course, knowing the story of his life and ministry, he was spoken against by many of the religious leaders of the day. Secondly, he is referred to as the sword. Being a stone of offense and a sign that many would speak against or rejected, that would bring pain and suffering to Mary and Joseph. Just talking about those things had to be devastating to Mary. <laughs> this is her baby. And knowing, hearing this prophecy that he would be spoken against and rejected had to be difficult. 
But then Simeon continued and he said, yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Kind of a prophecy of Christ's body being pierced at a very difficult time in Mary's life. She probably didn't understand Simeon's words when he spoke them, but likely as she stood at the foot of her son's cross, she may have thought back to that very prophecy as she watched him die. And while Simeon's words of blessing and praise in his psalm may have been comforting and courage in one way, those final words kind of had to be a little foreboding in the way they looked at the future. Those things were among the many things that Scripture tells us a short time later in verse 51 that Mary treasured up in her heart. That is, she, she kept them to herself. She kept them in her own heart. Well, that's all great information, Pastor. Thank, thank you. So what? What do we, what do, we do with that information? How do, how do we apply any of that to 2016 as we look at that down the road here? How do we apply it to our own lives as, as believers? How are some, what are some practical applications here? How do we apply the wisdom of Simeon's lifestyle to our own lifestyle? It is a little different. Well, the primary way I want us to look at it is the fact that Simeon lived his life expectantly, looking for the Messiah, God's Messiah, promised by God, promised by Old Testament prophecies. If we observe and imitate some of those traits in our, in our own life, we can also live expectantly for what God intends to do next. Now, we know one of the things he intends to do next is to come back again. Amen? Amen. But we don't know exactly when that is. So we need to be looking expectantly to every day in front of us. How does Christ impact our life every day? What can we learn here? Well, first I'd like us to see that we can learn about how Simeon received revelation concerning Christ. We can learn from that. He got his revelation of Christ and his understanding the same way we get it today, through the scriptures. And the Holy Spirit helps us understand and glean understanding from the scriptures. Simeon was thoroughly versed in the Old Testament prophecies regarding the coming Messiah. And he was likely a frequent and regular visitor to the temple for prayer and for worship. And here you are. He can be... Or he was submissive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Likewise, if we want greater understanding of and revelation of Jesus, a good place to start would be following Simeon's example. Bible study, prayer, worship, submitting to the Spirit. All of those things are necessary for continued understanding of God's plans and his purposes. Watching believers make it, uh, watching other believers actually makes it obvious that there are different levels of spiritual maturity. Would, would you agree with that? Yeah. And those who seem the most dialed into the Spirit generally are those who are consistently in, in His Word, they're faithful in prayer, and they're obedient and worshipful, like Simeon. I think it referred to him as devout. 
Now, sometimes we might shy away from that word, devout. For some reason, it makes people think badly of you. Well, it's not. It's not bad. Another thing we can learn from Simeon's example is how he pictured how we are to receive Christ. Simeon didn't wait for Jesus to come to him. He didn't have to confirm intellectually, well, yes, it does appear to me that perhaps the Messiah has come. When the Spirit helped him identify the baby, he went right up to Mary and Joseph, took the Messiah in his arms, and drew him close as if to say, this is not, not our Messiah. This is my Messiah. It was personal to him. Of course, he wanted Israel to be saved. But even more, he wanted himself to be saved from the consequences of his sin. He expressed his faith. He expressed his expectations in the most personal way possible. And sometimes, sometimes we as believers, we lose our personal excitement about our relationship with Jesus Christ. He's our Savior. We can, we can often become kind of corporate Christians, if you will. I'm Christian because that's who we hang out with. But Jesus is not just our Savior. He's my Savior. He's your Savior. If he walked in this room today, would you expect him to spend a little time with you individually? Or would you just be happy that he came to be with us this morning? I think you'd probably hang out till 2 o'clock if it took that for each of us to have a little personal time, wouldn't you? Yeah, he's my Savior. Don't lose sight of the fact that um, what he did on that cross, he didn't do just for the people who were there. He did that for you. Every one of you. He did that for me. He died for every individual who would accept that gift. I ought to harken back to the first time you prayed the prayer and became a, a, a Christian. When you asked Jesus into your heart, did you ask him into your heart as our Savior or as your personal Savior? He was my personal Savior. I needed saving and only he could do it. Finally, we learn from Simeon that the, the rest that we have available to us from the Messiah when he is ours. Verses 29 and 30, when Simeon finally met and embraced the Messiah, Messiah his first words were, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation. No matter what circumstances had surrounded Simeon at the time, he was now at peace. He was ready to die, if that's what the Lord wanted from him. He knew God's plan was in place and being worked out. He had seen the Lord, he had seen the Messiah, and he knew God's promises were being fulfilled and would be fulfilled. Did Simeon die that afternoon? I don't know. I doubt it, frankly. But he died at peace when he did go because he knew the workings of God's plan were being fulfilled. 
How does our spiritual life match up with Simeon's example? Are we filled with the word of God? Are you filled with the word of God? I know you, you come here on Sunday and you hear the word of God. What about Monday through Saturday? Is there any word of God in your life at that time? Are you personally passionate about Jesus like Simeon was? Do you lack fear of death or any other ugly circumstances? Can you have peace when you go to the doctor to get the results of that test you had last week? Do you have peace because of the working of Messiah in your life? Are you living in anticipation of the second coming as Simeon was in anticipation of the first? We, since Sunday school, little kids, we've been told Jesus is coming again. And he is. We don't know when. It might be while we're all still alive. It might not. But do we anticipate it? Do we wake up in the morning even thinking this could be the day? It could be before, before we have our next cup of coffee. Simeon personified a type of spiritual wisdom and maturity that I believe we all need to, to reach for. To be able to live in joyful anticipation of his second advent. So as we spend time Even this week, we're no longer in the Advent season, and yet we are in anticipation of his second Advent. Are we filling our hearts with his word, filling our minds with his word? Are we encouraging that relationship? I pray that we all are. I pray we'll match up with the standard that Simeon has left for us. So would you pray with me? Father, thank you this morning. We thank you for the season. It's a great season. It's a great holiday for us. But it's a great time to stop and reflect upon the birth of your Son on earth.